All Things Techie Podcast is a product of the Extreme Media Network. For advertising and sponsorship opportunities, please visit www.extrememedia.ie. That's X-T-R-E-M-E media.ie. All Things Techie Podcast, brought to you by two tech junkies, Justin Dawson and Simon Lang. For more, visit www.allthingstech.ie for all things techie. Right, what we're going to do is I've, I've been doing a series um, on all things techie about how people have got involved in the audiovisual world, and uh, okay. I think I think you have the most interesting background that uh, I've I've heard. Rumor has it that you actually studied veterinary at the very beginning, or you worked as a vet. No, I didn't work as a vet, but I I was uh, I was going to school to become a veterinarian. Yes, that was my that was my goal at some point. Okay, lead um, lead me through this. <laughs> so it it was interesting because I I always wanted to be a veterinarian since I was a kid, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and when I went to school, uh, I I was in this interesting quandary in that Arizona doesn't have veterinary schools. Right. And so when I went to college, they said, well, you can go to agribusiness or you can go to biomedical engineering. And those would be your two paths to do pre-vet here in Arizona. And so I chose biomedical engineering at first. So I actually started out um, in that core, which is crazy, and doing like all sorts of weird math, like Diffie-Q and numeric equations and linear algebra, which is negative space and black hole it's like star trek kids are in the class that's like what it is right it's just a bunch of okay okay and like like had you that interest in like your young teenage years of all that were you were you the nerdy kid at the back of the room or at the front of the room rather you know i i was always really great at school and i loved i loved like anatomy and i loved I loved, I deer hunted as a kid and all those things. So it's kind of my own person. I wasn't really um, a geek at the back. I didn't, I'm, the weird part about me is I didn't take apart, you know, radios and I wasn't playing with computers and I didn't know any of that kind of stuff. So I wasn't doing programming and things like that as a kid. Um, you know, I was Thai boxing. So I was doing Muay Thai kickboxing. I was deer hunting with my dad. I was working on a ranch with my friends. Um, because so in order to be entertains has been since you were a kid. So, yeah, I started that when I was 17. Wow. Okay. So, so that's been a while, but yeah, the, I mean, a lot of my time was actually spent working on a ranch because I wanted to be a veterinarian in a zoo. Mm-hmm. And in order to be a veterinarian in a zoo, um, it's very hard to get that position and they want um, husbandry experience because zoos all have breeding programs. Right. Zoos are all about reintroducing species to the species to the wild, or or uh, repopulating things, or you know helping endangered species get back on their feet. And so they wanted people that had been involved in those things. And so that's why I worked on a ranch and pulled calves and all those kind of things, so that I could get some experience in the real world with uh, you know delivering babies and and uh, breeding animals and things like that. So. So where did the link to audiovisual come from doing something like veterinary? It's, you know, it was the weirdest thing. So the, the, the link to audiovisual really came from this. I was, I was waiting tables through school. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was, I was about to get married to my wife. I had met my wife and we got engaged. And 
figured out quickly that she wasn't going to want to move from Arizona. So there was no way I was going to go to a veterinary school because Arizona has no veterinary schools. Um, so I was looking at maybe working for the game and fish department as a wildlife biologist. Right. I was looking at that real heavy and I needed to get married. I was getting married and I had to double down on work. I doubled down on work. We got married and then I felt like I needed to get a real job. Um, because I was waiting tables. Wait, hold and on. I, did, did Mark Coxon just say that audiovisual is a real job? Um, you know, my first real job, I say, was IBM, actually. Okay, so IBM. I, I, went to a, I went to a job fair, and some guy at a, at a company that ran IBM Direct um, thought for some reason that waiting tables was good experience for selling computers to IT managers. Um, and so the connection there, but go on. Yeah. (laughs) I, I don't either. So I was good with people and I was smart enough to learn the tech. And so, uh, I started at IBM and I was selling, um, you know, I had to make 65 outbound calls a day to it managers, cold calling them about their computers and their servers. Oh, wow. Okay. So I did that for almost two years. And one of my friends who I made there left and teased me for about a month because he was out designing home theaters and doing all these things in AV. And then uh, after they started to grow, he called me and said, hey, why don't you come over here? So and, you're in your early 20s at this stage, I said. Yeah. So early 20s, I got pulled over into AV by a friend from IBM that I used to go running with. And that was really the tie-in. That's and uh, in my interview, it was funny because they said, you know, what are your weak points? And I said, I don't even know how to hook up a VCR. Like my my stuff at home isn't. And in fact, after about my first week, two weeks in AV, um, after I started learning some stuff, my wife came home from work. She's like, what are you doing? Because I had the entertainment center upside down. And I'm like, none of this stuff is fixed up right at all. So, <laughs> so even, the, even the VCR was upside down at that stage? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've been really, I've been fortunate in that I've been able, in the beginning of my career, I really met people who were looking for aptitude mm. and not looking for experience. And we're looking for people that knew people um, because they were sales roles, but people who um, they knew the technology could be learned if they got the right person. Okay. And I think in a many times in AV hiring practices, you know, if you look at like what these recruiters are posting and stuff on LinkedIn, they all want the person that's already doing the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But many times our industry could really benefit from going out and looking and saying, hey, what skill sets do these type of jobs take? And can I get these people from somewhere else and infuse some new blood life into the industry and maybe bring something to the table that, that we don't already have? This is the problem. Like it, people look at qualifications and they don't look at, hold on, this guy could have a lot of innovative ideas that they could bring into, into the my company why don't i just hire them and like i read only recently mark that google are not even asking for people that have high school or um degree qualifications so you know even even with your background like you went off and you probably finished off your college degree in veterinary but you ended up working at an early stage with home theaters that led you to where you are now um but in that stepping stones, did you ever think like, hold on a minute, maybe I should get involved with CDR or were you involved with CDR doing home theater or was it just personal experience? 
You know, we, um, we were a CEDIA company, like the, our firm belonged to CEDIA as mm -hmm. a home theater company, but I never did any formal training to CEDIA, nor did I, I don't think I went to CEDIA more than once as a home theater right. person. Um, I spent every second I could with manufacturers when they came in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we did a lawn home systems. We did control four when it first came out, we used to do a lot of Sony ES, which was like their custom home home line. Um, and I spent a ton of time, you know, with those folks really trying to learn how things worked. And, um, you know, I think I got that because when I started at IBM, I didn't know anything about computers and we didn't have Google in 2000. Of right? course. It wasn't around yet. So, yeah. You know, you were having to go to Alta Vista or somewhere, and there used to be this website called whatis.com. Yeah. And I would have to go to whatis.com and type in what is, you know, ROM versus RAM, yeah, you know? And so I, I learned early that I was going to have to find resources in order to do my job properly. And uh, I think I just continued that through home theater. And it's, I think, one of the reasons that I still continue even when I was with a manufacturer when I was with Barco and Milestone you know they don't require CTSD or CTSI or anything like that but I mm -hmm. I felt like for me to continue my own personal you know journey in that way I had to continue to do that so which which leads me to a question of how did you get involved with Avixa or how did you decide right I need to do my CTS so two things so number one Milestone when I worked at Milestone for Chief, um, mm -hmm. Milestone requires all their salespeople to get their CTS general. Okay. Um, so they want their people to be educated. They even have a lot of their inside salespeople get their CTS, right? Not even just their outside people. So um, they were committed to Avixa and committed to CTS in general. So I had to do that. Um, I did that. And then funnily enough, Avixa and I, when it was, you know, Infocom, um, we didn't always have the best relationship with each other. Um, I wrote a couple things about how CTS was no, you know, wasn't like a driver's license because there was no guarantee of performance. It couldn't be revoked that they needed to institute some type of quality check. And mm -hmm. I didn't make a lot of friends in the beginning by criticizing what I thought could be better about mm -hmm. CTS. Now, I think maybe I was misunderstood that I wasn't saying it was, wasn't valuable, but that we could do so much more, to create visibility and value. Skill, uh, and even looking at the standards committees and whatever, there's still room for Avixa and the CTS. Um, I, especially in the general, because I always think this doesn't tap into enough of the live events scenarios. You know, mm -hmm. like it, it, it actually, where in the book does it teach you like this is a mixing desk? You know, where in, where in the book does it teach you that this is how you use a, a video camcorder? Or where, do, or where does it teach you how to use studio equipment? And people say, well, how do you, well, how do you adapt that into a multiple choice question? Well, why aren't we looking at those type of questions as well? It would be my argument. And I've, I, I've had this discussion with Chuck Espinoza as well, you know, yeah. and he said, you need to get onto the committee. I was like, well, that's, that's maybe in, when, when my little kids are a bit older, maybe I have more time to do those type of things. But there, it is, it is the beginning steps of, at least there's something of an in, industry standard recognition globally, which is the CTS. And that's, I think that's why it's important to get. 
Yeah, and I mean, for me, it became, you know, that was kind of the gateway. And then I figured out that there were only 300 people that had the D and the I combined. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, I think at the time, there were less than 300. And so I said, why wouldn't, why wouldn't I want to be one of a select 300 people in the world? Mm -hmm. And that's sort um, of what led me to like, do my CTS. Why wouldn't I want to be one of eight in Ireland that have the CTS? You know, yeah. So, yeah. So, but do you find that at times, you mentioned that some companies don't recognize the CTS in, it, in its entirety. Like even, even rewinding a bit, you talk about home theater and CDA and I, you didn't see the importance. Like I've looked at CDA and I've looked at home, the idea of home theater. On an American front, I think home theaters are much more requested than probably what's in the European region. Or have you have you noticed that? Um, oh yeah, I mean, i I worked for I worked for a company called iWired, mm -hmm. and we did all of the work for Dr. Horton, uh, Toll Brothers, and Shea Homes, which are three major big home builders here. Mm -hmm. And so, at the peak, you know, before the housing, before the economy crashed in two thousand seven. Um, in Arizona, Arizona and the Phoenix area were building 63,000 new homes a year in Phoenix. Okay. That's, that's a lot of new homes coming up out of the ground every year in a metropolitan area. And us as a company, we did about 4,000 of those. And I would say 90% of those at least had some type of home theater pre-wire built into them for rear speakers. Right. At a, at a minimum. So it was on everybody's radar. So whether it was in a family room or a living room mm -hmm. or whether they had a multi-purpose game room or whether they had a dedicated home theater, it didn't really matter. Surround sound and distributed audio in a home. Um, was well, just or, the norm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, I have every, almost every single house I did, whether it was a hundred thousand dollar starter house Mm -hmm. or a $2 million, 10,000 square foot, one story home on two acres had at least pre-wire for audio on the patio. Because wow. they live outside a lot, especially in the winter mm -hmm. and, and pre-wire for rear speakers for a theater. Almost, almost, I would say 95% of those houses had that. Yeah. So with, with that type of experience, you really picked up quickly, I guess, on the CTSI and the CTSD. Did you do, which one did you do first, the I or the D? Okay, so I did this in reverse. I should have done the I first because the I is easier. That's um, what Chuck told me to do, so that's why I'm studying it. Yeah, okay. The, the I, you know, is in line with the, with the general as far as the pass rate. It's a 65 to 70% 70 70 pass rate on the first try. Okay. Um, the D has about a 33% pass rate on the first try. Mm -hmm. um, so the D is much harder. I would also say that I started with the D and I didn't get the book at all for the D. I did the D without the book and without any prep courses. Wow. Okay. So I did the D from trial and error on the D and figuring mm -hmm. out what was on there. So I did take it once and I was part of that 66% that doesn't pass it the first time. I missed it by three points. Wow. 347. That was with that was without a book. And then I had to go back and say, okay, what did I do wrong? And one of the things I did wrong was I had a strategy. And that strategy was, well, when I when I think I have 80% of the answers right, I'm just going to submit mm -hmm. because 80% should get me right over the line. 80% should get me over the line. Um, and even if 
if you think about 350 points out of 500, you think that's 70%. Mm -hmm. Well, I got a 78% correct on the test, but I only got 347 points because the percentage and the points yeah, don't match. Yeah. So, so I made a strategic error in how I approached the test. And once I fixed that, I passed the test, which was good. But I would recommend doing the I first. I think the I preps you for the D. Um, and I would recommend, you know, Chuck Espinoza was nice enough to send me the book for the I, which made passing the I on the first try very easy. Okay. Um, and, you know, just years of experience. I, the thing is, is, you know, obviously you need a little experience to take the tests, right? So mm -hmm. you have to have that two years of install experience somewhere. Yeah. Now, and even though I was never formally a technician, I did enough. Uh, I worked, always worked for small companies. So I was always involved in my own project management rack build and many times my own programming. So did, did you do the, you did the I and the D quite close together then at that stage? I think they were about a year, they were about a year apart. So it isn't, it wasn't right back to back. Um, I wanted to do them quicker together, but I just didn't end up having the time to do it professionally because it did take a little extra time um, than I thought to get those done. But yeah, I was able to do them within a year of each other and, and get them knocked out. So um, now I'm just down the mode where I have to get some RUs done, right? To keep them. So. Oh, of course, yeah. No, but so you've, you've had a lot of, small companies that sort of led up to, oh, I don't want to call them small companies, but smaller size working capacities with different companies that led up to Barco. So would, would, would Barco be probably the biggest company that you worked for? Um, yeah, Barco was, Barco was probably the biggest company I'd worked for because, you know, Mile, Milestone was big mm. um, in the U.S., but wasn't as big in EMEA and you know, there's, there's obviously an office there, Marco and Robert DeYoung and those guys, guys I love who run Milestone Europe. Um, and, but they didn't have quite the capacity Barco had in Europe, obviously, because Barco's a, a historic brand there, 1930s from radios and things, mm -hmm. right? So um, yeah, Barco was, I think with the medical side, you know, over a billion dollars. So Barco's a big company. Mm -hmm. And um, as such, it was, you know, it, has all the all the leverage that a big company gives you and then some of those siloed communication fun parts to figure out in a big company too right so um you know had all the all the pluses and minuses of a big company i would say yeah and out of all the companies you've worked for now you've just you just only recently moved to a new role but out yep. of all the companies what has been your favorite what is what role have you said i could have stayed there if, if i you know so if, if I had to pick one to go back to, mm -hmm. let me say this. I think I'm, I'm, I'm extremely excited about where I'm at right now mm -hmm. because I, I feel like I finally, this was a role that I'm brought into a team um, with a company that does furniture, but also has a technology division who works with designers and architects. And I've been brought in to help mentor a team and grow, grow a division. Right. And I right. think, 17 years of doing this, I feel like this is, a, if I had, could write down on a piece of paper where I thought my skill sets could value a company or mm -hmm. could help a company, this role's a thousand percent perfect for that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm super excited about that. If I had to say, besides where I'm at now, if I had to go back and pick one, um, I would pick when I was at Mad Systems okay. um, because the museum integration space is so amazing and fascinating. 
And the people that are at Mad Systems, Maris and Trisha and Brandon and Mark Hogan and the folks that work there, they're extremely intelligent. They're, they're the, probably, as far as you know, IQ wise, mm-hmm. they're some of the smartest people I've ever met in AV and probably some of the smartest people I've ever met in general. I mean, their, their CTO has a degree in medical device engineering Oh, and you know they're they're uh, it's principles. innovative um, it's innovative designs with museums and bringing in that immersive experience that Evixa yeah. talks about I say in a lot of the museums and um, so how many years were you there and how many like you were doing the installs there or the integration so I was I was there four years and mm-hmm. I was there in a sales capacity business development. Okay. Um, one on doing some interactive stuff um, with them. So the biggest project I did with them was an interactive center for University of Oregon. We did an interactive visitor center. Um, but I was also helping them try to grow some commercial business. So I did some work with the U.S. Navy. I did some work with a law firm. I did some work with local school district, with a private, with a, a private university. With um, you know, so I was kind of stress testing different verticals for them to see where else their skill sets may line up for mm-hmm. local work that was quicker turn than museum work. Cause museum work, there's a long cycle. There's two or three years working with a designer sometimes getting funding, finding space, all those things. What artifacts are we going to emphasize a lot of design up front and then the implementation. So sometimes you can get a job um, and not actually start doing that work for two years. So you may have a, a seven figure contract, that you're waiting 24 months to start. Sounds like higher education in Ireland, except without the budget. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. It's like, let's do something and let's, let's sit on this project for the next two years and see does the ball roll down the hill a bit. But um, yeah, so, it, so it, was, it was amazing and, and they're you know, super smart people. So I learned a ton um, just in general being there and, and uh, yeah, if I had to pick one to go back to, it'd be that one. So describe your new role then to me, Mark. You know, like some people say, I've, I've, I've looked at it and I've, I've read the articles that were released when yourself and then Chris moves on the 1st of April and everyone's like, no, this is an April Fool's joke. What's going on? The two guys that were working with Barco have, have moved on and everyone on the AB Tweet community was wondering is this a bit of a joke or are they just saying that this too so what describe the new role for yourself so yeah so well the funny part is what behind the scenes nobody knows is chris and i gave our notice on the same morning at barco so that was probably (laughs) probably an interesting we we announced a week yeah we had we announced a week apart from each other on purpose but um yeah so but the yeah the new role for me um number one it gives me a chance to get back into integration Okay. So one thing I realized in working for manufacturers, and I worked for two great, very visible manufacturers, mm-hmm. right? Um, I was getting farther and farther from the end customer. Yeah. So at Milestone, I worked with the integrator. The integrator worked with the customer. At Barco, we also had rep firms. So I worked with a rep firm who worked with the integrator who worked with the end customer. Okay. And then we know the end customer may be the IT person. So that might not even be the end user. Right. So I'm at least four steps, maybe five steps away from the person who I actually need to impact Mm -hmm. as an AV professional. And I needed to get closer 
you know, to that, to that person. Cause that's when I was happy. Like I, I want to know what are we trying to do? How are we doing it? And how are we doing it in a way that adds value other, you know, in a way different than everybody else would. Mm. Um, so number one, that was good. Um, so my, my job with this company, the great thing is the company has had success. So I'm not, I'm not some knight in training armor coming in here, showing anybody how to do anything. They've been doing this well mm-hmm. for three years. The first couple of years they did it okay. The last three years they've done it amazingly well and built repeat customers. And they're really looking for a way to scale, a way to think about um, how they do that in a smart way and in a way that we build up salespeople and bring in and train new talent to have early stage business conversations with customers. Not how many TVs do you want for digital signage in your room. Which is the sales pitch, yeah. Exactly, but how are you communicating with employees? What are your biggest challenges for, you know, enforcing safety on a factory floor or whatever that is? And then maybe there's a technology solution that it, that uh, mirrors that, mm-hmm. but we really want to be having conversations with our design community. We have a huge design community because we do furniture, um, our architecture community and our, and our customers to be figuring out how we continue to add value. Because I think you and I both know technology is getting easier and easier and easier to install. Mm-hmm. Even flat panels now, if you get an OLED flat panel that weighs 15 pounds, that you could put a magnet on the wall. Exactly, a magnet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you don't have to worry about ADA envelope clearance. You don't have to worry about coordinating a niche because the thing's two inches, it's an inch deep or a half inch deep. You don't have to worry about seismic requirements in California because it's not heavy enough to worry about dropping on somebody's head. Yeah. All sorts of things that integrators used to solve for that as technology changes, we're not solving for those. So what are we solving for now? Mm. And those are the kind of conversations I like to have with people. What are the problems in the office with communication? How are you, how are you making sure that people who work from home, which is now maybe half of your workforce, have the right equipment resources and set up at home in order to have a productive meeting with the people in the office. So maybe that looks like, maybe that looks like a hybrid where you're doing home offices for Mm -hmm. people, right? With VTC and setting those up in a way that everything's configured properly and doing QoS on their modems and all those things. So we don't get my pixelated face that you and I have right here (laughs) at my house. Right? So those are all the things that I think we're going to see our, our companies kind of morph towards in the future. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the exciting part for me is coming to a place. I've always said, I want to seat at the strategy table. Yeah. Like, I think I understand this industry. I know I understand people. I, I want to, I want to have a seat in a, in a, um, in a way, not for ego. I, I want to have a seat at the table in a way that I can actually make a huge difference in the success and lifeblood of the, of the actual integration company going forward. And this was the first time that I've actually kind of been given that spot. And that's why I'm so excited about it. It's so, it's so interesting. Like rewinding what, just listening to what you were saying there, Mark, it sounds in America and I've had this conversation with my co-host Simon that couldn't join us today, but it seems that over in America, you have more steps up the ladder. And I've even said this to Chuck before over a few points because that's the way we roll with AV. But over a few drinks, I said there's more steps in the ladder to between 
the integrator and the end user. Whereas I see in the jobs that I've, and the services that I've provided of other visual support, yeah, we might hire in a third party installer and we might have a project going on. But I seem that in the roles that I've always had, I've been also dealing with the end user. It seems that over in America, you can have this big separation between end user and, and the integrator. Yeah, it's a huge problem, honestly. So, so, you know, what happens, I mean, you know, you, you've talked to Chuck about it. I mean, what happens here, most integrators are, are they're chasing a set of construction documents, really. Mm. So what happens is the first time they hear about something, um, maybe they're looking at permits. Maybe they're looking, like a lot of people use something out here called Dodge Reports. It, it tells you when people pull permits for buildings. Okay. Once somebody has pulled a permit to build a building, they already have the plans because they have to submit the plans in order to get the permit to build what they want. Right. And if they've already developed the plans, they've already had a conversation about what they're solving for in the new space. Right. So if you're chasing permits or you're chasing one of these construction reports, what happens is, is you end up calling a general contractor who's most likely not even got the job yet or a prime contractor, I think you guys call mm -hmm. it, right? Right. We're chasing, we're chasing the guy building the building. There's a section 16 here that says audiovisual equipment. And somebody has written that from the company that built this building. But and I'm now we're working of audiovisual. Yep. Yeah. And so what we're doing is we're giving a number on some equipment that's been predetermined to a general contractor who most of the time doesn't ex even know the difference between any of the stuff on the list. And he's getting three bids from three people like us as integrators. And he's trying to win the job himself. So he goes with his lowest bidder, thinking everything's equal, mm -hmm. adds them into his project. And then hopefully he gets the job and goes forward with that. And so you're bidding a spec that you have no idea why it exists. You're bidding with a contractor whose sole motivation is still to win the job. Mm -hmm. Yes, he wants to perform it right, but he has to win it first, right? And you haven't talked to anybody who's actually going to use anything that you've done. Yeah. It's craziness. It is. And it sounds, it's more, it sounds more crazy over on your neck of the waters than it is on our side of the pond. Because I, I, at times I hear about projects and I won't name names of companies, and I won't name the in-store. But I think that the most favorite thing with audiovisual companies here is there's a lot of audiovisual companies who get the tender, do the job, and walk away from, from the role. And the support network just disappears. Yeah. And you see, you see that a lot in, in different builds here. In, what is the actual title of your job then? mark in in your new company so i'm sales director for the technology division so okay. um my job is create strategy train salespeople, and and grow the business is really what my what my job is so it would you say it's it's gone back into the sales pitch end of things or you're still you're still doing the end user experience um well for me i'm not i'm not working with any individual clients so okay. i'm not I'm not doing design and I'm not doing proposals and I'm not doing sales and I'm not doing prospecting. Um, you know, my, my job is to really create 
I guess the strategy around how we go to market, mm -hmm. right? Like what kind of conversations do we have? What kind of customers are we going after? Who values what we do more than what somebody else does in our space, right? And right. who are those ideal customer profiles? And if we could pick 20 people within our geographic area to work with that would change our business, who are they? Mm. And then my job is to make sure that I just knock down all the barriers that my salespeople have. My right. salespeople are the heroes, not me, right? Like they have to, they have to support the customer. They have to do the job. My job is really to make sure we're asking the right type of questions. We're having the right type of conversations and we, and we're keeping tabs on everybody because we all know that out here, at least, you know, one person could change in a company, a, one of our customers could change their technology manager tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And we you lost experience. And, and maybe we've lost the whole contract. Maybe That's we've right. lost $3 million worth of work next year because one person changed. Yeah. So what are we doing to mitigate that? Do we know the seven other people in that division? Do, does everybody know why John at the company really loves us in case John leaves, yeah. right? Like, are we managing all of those things? Because like you said, many times, in a project-based world, we think, oh, we've got the punch list, we're done. They'll call us again when they need us. Well, then they never call again. 17 things changed, you weren't there to see it. Mm -hmm. So we really wanna have that proactive relationship with the customer where we are doing the support, we are doing adoption training, we are continually on site and supporting a customer. And then we can watch as that landscape changes within their executives so that we make sure we're maintaining the proper relationships to keep that long-term client and provide value to them. So. so would most of your work now be in office or would you be out on the road? So I do both. So, um, you know, I, I'm still doing my speaking. I'm still doing my writing. I'm doing my podcasting. That's all great for visibility mm -hmm. because, um, you know, we, we know that customers, if there are end users out there educating themselves, that have AV managers and stuff, they're using the internet, they're using things like this, right? To, um, to watch, to learn, to listen to what's going on out in the space. And so for me, that's a big portion so that we have visibility as a company and people say, hey, what? I, I've heard that Mark guy from Tangram talk a couple times. He seems like they know what they're doing. Maybe we should invite them to, to come in and talk to us about technology. Um, I do a lot of um, ride-alongs with my salespeople. So I love going on tours. I love doing walking job sites with them. Mm -hmm. I, I do that as a more of a support to watch, to coach, to mentor type thing. Um, I don't think I can sit in an office and give them strategy if I don't know how they actually deal with customers. Right. Right. Um, right. So I do a lot of that. And then I do some office work too. I work with the directors. I work with the operations manager. I work to, you know, streamline processes and make sure we're doing things right. And, and uh, the cool thing is, is that they, they, you know, they value my opinions on other stuff too, like engineering or project management, or, you know, what have you seen before? Hey, we're facing this problem in operations. Mm -hmm. What have you seen other companies do to fix it? And so, you know, I'm in, I'm in that role, although it's not my purvey, it's not my, I don't make that final decision. Um, you know, people they lean value on. your input is the, is the, and I think job satisfaction, nine, nine tenths of that is when people in different areas value your, your expertise and um, yeah go on it's i was gonna say it's a hundred percent of why i knew i couldn't be a salesperson forever there yeah. was nothing wrong with barco that intrinsically that stopped me from working there where there was nothing wrong at milestone that intrinsically stopped me from working there mm. but i think the thing is is that in those situations the market strategy and the the sales need has already been determined upstream yeah yeah it's just like here's a quota go hit it Great, I can do that. 
-hmm. but I, I wanted more than that. Like I, I, I couldn't see myself for 30 years just pushing whatever part number somebody had decided we were going to sell to a vertical market. It, it may be a great product. It, 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 the companies I worked for made great products. People love the products. I, I, and forgive me for anyone that's listening in that says you're wrong, Justin, because maybe I am wrong, but my thoughts is when you study things like CTS, CTSI, CTFD, you're limited if you're a salesperson, an individual salesperson, there's, you have a lot more to give. And I think, Mark, you, you've landed on your feet with the role that you're trying to do now, that you can tap into every part of the industry and fa people value your expertise. You know, there's times where I look at higher ed and go, am I getting my message across? And that's why I do these type of podcasts and still get involved in the social network of, of AB tweets and, and what for. Um, I'm going to fire a couple of quick fire questions at you then, Mark. So like okay. you, talk about you, 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 you go out on the road and whatever. Have you been to ISE? I have not been to ISE, no. And why not? And, I, and will you come to ISE? I want to come to ISE. My wife and children would kill me if I went to Europe without them. Okay. So reason. With, with three children and a wife, um, it becomes a lot more of a, of a uh, investment to get everybody to ISE. Okay. That's, that's, the, that's the main reason. Okay. So out of all the workshops and conferences that you go to, what would you rate as the best? <sighs> hmm. That's interesting. Um, for networking and for, you know, obviously Infocom here in the United States, um, for seeing new things and getting my brain turning, I love to go to Seagraph. Okay. It's, the, it's the computer graphics um, show here in, in Los Angeles. And uh, some of the experiential AV companies go there like Christie and, and people like that where they're doing projection mapping or they're doing 3D with haptics or they're doing things that we don't see a lot in the corporate AV space, but the, um, that show is, is amazingly uh, eye-opening to what people are exploring in different verticals and maybe where some tech needs lie. Okay, um, so if there was one area, well, you sort of answered that question already. If there was one area that you really wanted to specialize in in audiovisual, what would it be? Um, I would love to special, lobbies. Lobby. I'll make it a short answer. Um, okay. I think there's a, I think there's a huge untapped opportunity to tell corporate stories and lobbies through an interactive way. And I think if every large business had an interactive lobby that mirrored what a science or a children's museum had, um, mm -hmm. you'd have that seven, eight minutes that somebody waits in your lobby for you to come get them. They would be self-exploring and learning about the company as opposed to looking at their phone and wondering why you haven't come up to get them yet. It's, it's interesting you say lobbies. Now, sometimes you have a lot of digital signage in lobbies and, and so forth. Like I've, I've seen things from Dubai. I've seen things from America. I've seen things that's actually been talked and integration into Dublin in, in, in some of the Microsoft buildings where they have like waterfalls in, in LEDs up and down. And to me, I think, yeah, that's nice. But seeing it on a daily basis, people are going to get bored. It's not, it's not going to change all the time. So, so, and that, there's your point right there. The, the, the problem with what people are doing is that they have static content. 
Yeah. And they do it, they do it as a pretty picture. Mm -hmm. They're not doing it. They're not doing it that, uh, in a way that's updated to relevant context. They're not doing it in a way that's personalized to the visitor who's coming in at that given time and why they're there. Mm -hmm. And, and we know that we are able to do those things very easily today. Right. There's, there's an e if you spend the time, you can develop tracks of content that are relevant to today's problems and have a way that those are, those are presented to the people who need to see them when they come in or code them ahead of time. It's very easy to take somebody's picture ahead of time, put it in a system and say, when Bob walks in here, you're going to show him these four things. Yes. It's easy to do. We yeah. don't do it. And so the, this, and this is where I, why I think there's a huge untapped opportunity. We no longer have technology problems, not usually. Most of our problems, most of our limitations in what we do as AV people right now are self-imposed. They're not imposed by technology. They're imposed by us saying, oh, I'm not a content company. Oh, I don't do, I don't do um, content creation. Oh, I don't do updates. Oh, I don't do managed service. I just, I'm, a, I'm an install and design company or I'm this or I'm that. I sell you the black box. Why not? Yeah. Why, not have a, why not have a marketing person on your AV team that sits down with your video editor and sits down with a client and says, not only are we going to build this nine by nine video wall, we're going to create pixel for pixel content and we want to know the seven stories you tell your customers and we'll help you develop what that looks like on this wall so people watch it. Why not have that? Yeah. And it, it seems that not many companies would actually offer that, if any companies. I think that in the role that you're describing in your new role, you sort of get that opportunity to, to tap into that market. And it, it sounds intriguing. When you're on talking about these things, Mark, I just get a hint that the bit of your IT background still comes into play. You're talking about programming and whatever. Now, I, I, I always hold on to one of the, your quotes from way back when, when you said, IT is eyes and zeros, where AV is all about the immersive experience. And I thought that is a quote for a PhD doctrine, move over Joe Way, you know? <laughs> but do you think that it, we're getting swallowed up by IT? I don't know that we're getting, so I've, I've had this discussion back and forth before. Um, as AV becomes more IT centric, I think that IT companies understand the network topology and the security better than we do. Absolutely. And, and they have a more trusted business relationship with the end user to, to um, be responsible for those two things. And if we as an industry never catch up to that, we're going to get crushed at some point. Mm -hmm. Because as, as audio systems self-configure themselves, as we're using beam forming mics and software-based DSP to tune rooms and do those things, yeah, people say, oh, auto-tuning sucks or this. Fine. People thought MP3 sucked. People thought cloud-based video conferencing sucked. Nobody will ever use MP3. CDs sound way better. Nobody will ever do online streaming. Blu-rays look way better. Nobody's ever going to do Zoom because it's not... You know, it doesn't look like it looks when you use a life-size codec and you have a dedicated network or whatever. Guess what? They were all wrong. Mm -hmm. So when we say they will never, they will never, they will never, they, they will. will. Yeah. They will. Mm -hmm. And at some point, if we don't take that seriously and say we need to understand the network, 
We need to understand the security concerns, which we saw with Zoom last week, right? Like the big thing on Zoom and the back door and the wet. Like we have to know what our software is doing to people's computers if we're going to install it. We have to know about network security and creating QoS settings and knowing how their network works. I mean, I've met people who like did video sharing, right? So you take like a, and I'm, I'm not picking on anybody in, t in particular, but you use a wireless sharing device that goes on the network. Mm -hmm. Well, in order for that to share to the screen, that goes through the Wi-Fi access point, goes through the network, comes back to there, and mm -hmm. then plays on the screen, right? Right. As a basic. Well, I've had people say, oh, those don't work for us. And it took them, <laughs> it took them figuring out that the, cust the customer's Network topology pushes all traffic through their server in Illinois first before it comes back to California. Okay. What did you just do to the network switches in Illinois when you decided that you were going to use this wireless screen sharing in a room and you don't understand the network topology about how everything's routed within their network? Right. You crushed everything. You crushed their whole company in yeah. a second. And you need to know, oh, we need ad hoc here. But we don't, we don't know enough to even ask those questions, yeah. right? Which is, which is the hard part. So... I don't know that we will or won't. I'm not going to predict that because futurists, I loved the Stephen Dubner thing when he did it at Infocom that futurists are always wrong. So I don't want to be a futurist. I don't want to say we will die, but I will say that if we're not, if we're not smart about having, about knowing that we need to bridge that gap in our own knowledge, mm. that at some point those people are going to displace us. Well, I know what I'm, I'll, I'll give my two cents worth of what you, of some of this content topics that you just said and you know ab won't die that's 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 in my in my view it will never die because i've had in previous podcasts with with simon that okay we're talking about uh video over over ip audio over ip right digital mixing desks even but what happens when the network goes down and you have a live event at yeah. least you're the man that knows how to twist the knobs and pull the faders and plug in an XLR and run a mic. See, this is the type of stuff that still will always, always exist. It always comes down to the, to the basics, what I, yeah. what I consider the basics. And in, you're saying bridge the gap. I think more and more that... It's not on the IT end, but more on the audiovisual end that we are learning more about IT than IT is learning about AV. I think we could be. Yeah, we could be. I'm just, I'm just saying it's low hanging fruit. If I'm a, if I'm a large IT services company mm -hmm. and I have a contract with a global company and I'm already their IT service provider and I'm charging them a million dollars a year to run their network. And I say, oh, by the way, for an extra 250 grand, we can do your AV for you. How easy is that for them to pick off if the integrator isn't having the right conversations? Of course. Yeah. There's already a trusted business relationship there. And I don't think we can discount that. We can, we can, I, I agree with you. There will always be a need for our skill set. Mm -hmm. I've said this before. I think, I think we will see companies start to diverge and specify again or specialize as opposed to being an all-in-one shop. I think as the middle of AV becomes soft and squishy and easy and done over IP and out of the box experiences become easier and, and good enough. I hate that word, but people say it is. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're going to say, okay, so who's the customer that doesn't think that's good enough and what isn't good enough? 
Oh, yeah. the audio video is not good. Oh, they need they need just in time service for report. They need a, a 15 minute SLA on a meeting that doesn't go down. Great. So we're going to build we're going to build a managed services company, or we're going to build an efficient operations company that does rollout of equipment and highly efficient labor for scalable enterprises. Or we're going to build, but you're going to specialize in something. You're going to find that niche, and now you're the ambulance when that thing goes wrong. Like you said, the event goes wrong. You have to know the guy that can come in. Yeah, that can come in and do that. And if you have enough events, you're going to hire that guy yourself, mm-hmm. and he's going to be the guy you fly wherever. Whenever anything big is going on, he's there. He follows the CEO around, and if he's given a keynote, that guy's in the room just in case, mm-hmm. right? Or you're going to have a company that has offices all over that can support those just in time needs. But you're going to you're going to have to specialize as an AV person and not just say, "Oh, well nobody's ever going to figure out audio, so I don't have to change." Of course. What are you talking about? They're going to figure out audio. They I you know, the other people that I think have a huge entry into that market are the building control people. If you don't think the people that are doing like uh, Johnson Controls and some of those guys that are doing all of the HVAC and the coolers and the boilers and the electrical and the lighting and the building information systems. If you don't think those guys have a good leg into taking your AV business once it gets easy enough for them, yeah, that they do too, right? So there are a couple people that are pushing in, but I, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not cynical. I think we have a great role to play, and I'll tell you what, I've, I've said this too. It doesn't mean that you don't have a job. It means you might just work for somebody else. Yes, yeah, of course. If, if you own a small integration company, you may work for your biggest customer in 10 years instead. Of course. Yeah, that, that is true. And um, moving on, Mark, uh, quick, as I said, quick fire questions. Crestron or Extron and why? Um, Crestron only because I can't um, understand the numbering system for Extron parts. Okay. <laughs> there's, there's something that extra has to pick up on. And so if for Father's Day or your birthday, tech toy and any limit of, of budget, what would you go for? Oh God. Tech toy for Father's Day or my birthday? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm kind of a it's it's funny, I'm kind of a Luddite my like personally when it comes to tech. I don't have like a lot of tech in my house. In fact, I gave up my I gave up playing video games 10 years ago when my daughter was a toddler because I didn't want to get divorced. Um, <laughs> so of the podcast right there. Yeah, you know, for for me tech okay, for me life changing um uh a, an RFID tag that I can stick on my keychain so I can find my car keys. Wow, okay. Right. That's a, that's a, that's a quick answer. Um, do you see your daughter or your son going into the audiovisual industry or would you bar them from going into the audiovisual industry? It's funny you say that. My, my son is doing digital film right now. And earlier he was using a fidget spinner and spinning it in front of his eyes. And he goes, I'm taking a movie by taking pictures. And I said, you know, that's how a movie works, right? He goes, dad, it's 24 frames a second. I go, okay, you got it. So Oh my God! You, your son is is a mini genius. You know, <laughs> he's, he's thirteen. He's he was he was in digital film last year. He's going to be on the kids' news station, and he's thinking about going into into some digital film at an art school. So we'll see. Wow! So again, in another world of audiovisual that's just opening up in in that end of things. And what do you see your daughter going into? Uh, my youngest is is going to be she's she's heavy on robots. I don't know if you've seen that online. Oh, I've she's seen that. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's my youngest. She's 10. 
Um, she was in Future Scientists and Engineers of America this year, gave up her Tuesday afternoons to do science projects and build towers and learn about physics and solar cars and all sorts of stuff. Um, and then my oldest daughter wants to be a forensic criminologist. She's in culinary wow. school, but she wants to she wants to do crime scene investigation. Well, <laughs> I have to ask now that, that we've done the whole family. What does your wife work as? So my wife, um, my wife is has a degree in marketing, and she does a lot of like uh, promotional events. So she does marketing events and things for like auto shows and things like that. And then in the off season from the auto shows, she does uh, fitness bikini contests. So right, right now her job is training for a show in Arizona. So. My God, <laughs> that's, that's some family back. You could retire in a couple of years time, Mark, is what you're telling me if you have. I, I hope so. That'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> so if, it, if you were to, if someone was to come to you and go, how do I get into the audiovisual industry? And it's a young 17, 18 year old, what way or path would you be directing them to? Because uh, that with your son <laughs> and, and video. I, I honestly, I would, I would tell them to get onto Twitter, mm -hmm. um, to join some groups like AV and the AM or get on LinkedIn and join, join AV industry professionals, um, have some idea of what they're looking for and then crowdsource it. Because I really think we're at a point as an industry where if you're a smart young person willing to work hard, I don't think it matters. You know, I don't think color, sex, any of that stuff matters anymore in this world. And I think if you, if you want an open door, um, if you get into some of those communities where there are like-minded people like that, I feel, I really feel like Chris's AV and the AM community. I feel like the audiovisual industry professionals group, there's a couple out there. Um, I feel like those are places where people are hoping to connect people to their next opportunity. And, you know, I look at people that are coming into this industry young and, and seeing some of the amazing things they're doing. I mean, think of, I mean, I think, you know, I think I'm, I used to be one of the young faces of AV. Now I'm one of the old faces of AV, right? I'm quickly becoming that, that old white haired white guy that, that everybody complains about. But, you know, I look at people like Haley Klein and Kelly Perkins and Alicia Henley and uh, this guy, Ryan Root at STEM Audio. And these are all like 20 something, maybe early 30 professionals who have really made a, a huge stamp on AV in five, six, seven years in the industry. And what, what's a common thing that they're all doing? They're all leveraging their network and, and the human side of mm -hmm. AV. Because AV people are social people. Like a lot of them were in bands, they were roadies, like they're, they like people, they like networking. Like you said, it's over a pint, right? Yeah. Leverage that. I, I think if you go in and you just say, well, I did all this work, I got this degree, I did this, I did that, and I sent it off to 18 recruiters and nobody could find me a job, it's because you're not doing the work of connecting to the people. Yeah. And I would say connect to the people. The stuff you can learn. Yeah. You really can. You can I, got, I, still, I still go, how did I beat off Joe Way and Mark Cox and to become AV professional? Of the people. Year? People. You guys <laughs> knew people, man. I got skunked. I got skunked in that contest. And I know people pretty well, but I, I but anyways, it's, it's one of those things, man. I really think it's people. It's, it's, yeah. And, and I think if you come in with a humble heart, one of my, one of my friends is Michael Bridwell. I don't know if you know him. I've He's heard of him. He's yeah. in data innovations. He used to be at digital projection, really great guy. And he's running a team at data innovations for commercial audio. But one of his things is humble and hungry. He mm -hmm. loves people who are humble and hungry. If you have motivation and ambition 
and you're willing to say, Hey, I don't know, but I'm willing to work hard and I'm, I'm willing to do what you tell me to get where I need to go. Oh my God. How many doors is that open for you? You know, mm -hmm. um, going back to your Infocom answer, um, Vegas or Orlando, which is better. I like Vegas, but I'm a West coast guy. I like being an hour from home. Of course. Um, you know, so I'm, I mean, I'm not a Las Vegas guy either. I don't, I don't go to shows. I don't gamble. Um, I'm not a strip club guy. Like I'm none of that stuff that's in Las Vegas typically. So for me, that's not the part. It's not the nightlife. Um, Vegas has better fried chicken. I'll say that, you know, I'm a fried chicken guy. Um, fried chicken being an hour from home, not having to travel cross country. The, the east west, the west east coast trip is a bear. I think yeah. you leave well, at six in the morning. You know and you don't get there till 10 at night, you know? I, I crunch numbers and figured out that if I save up for it, I can do Infocom cheaper than I can do for a week at IFC because wow. IFC it's so expensive for hotels. Like hotels in Vegas is a penny in comparison to yeah. the cost of hotels in Amsterdam. So maybe, yeah. maybe it will change in, 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 in Barcelona, but I, I hope, I hope in the future to be getting getting crossed in for calm at some stage because there's there's a lot of you guys that I talk to on on podcasts and AV tweets and it's like I don't get to meet you guys unless you come over to IC. I yeah, I know that's that, that's such a hard part and actually honestly like one of the one of my favorite things is meeting um, you know the European contingent when they do come to Infocom. So you know this year Jason Ward didn't get to come but Kevin Talbot and and uh, Noel and those guys got to come. So that was really cool. Um, and when I was at Milestone, when we'd have our national meeting, they'd bring the guys in from Europe. Uh, there's a really great guy who's an engineer at Vadio named Niels Campen, who like, we had the exact same childhood. He grew up in the Netherlands and I grew up in the United States. Wow. We, we bought the same pair of shoes at 16. We had to negotiate with our dad to earn half the money to get like Reebok pumps when they first came out. We had like, we listened to the same music. We watched the same shows. We were, you know, 7,000 miles away from each other and had the exact same life from- So you're, you're trying to figure out now, are you actually twins? Is that what you're talking yeah. about? <laughs> so I love, I love that stuff, but I love people in general. My, my grandma, um, her family came over from uh, Croatia. And so I like, I love names and people and different cultures. And I probably get some people a little scared because sometimes I'll ask people like, wow, tell me the history of your name or tell me where your family came from. Or, and I don't know if they think I have some like ulterior motive in knowing it, but I just, I love um, connecting in that way with people. So. Yeah, that's great. Well, Mark, I've, I've taken up a lot of your time. The only question I actually it's sort of on mic and off mic what has happened to your podcast like i we had about two or three videos of you and i feel i forget the i forget the net three and the technologists and bars right yeah I, so, like, I want to do a technologist and bars with you when i come over to america we have yeah to and they're coming back so this is the these are the the two-prong thing of what happened with technologists and bars i'll be brutally honest about both of them um you dragged too much one it no no so so one is um i have one in the can that's uh that i taped two months ago that i haven't got or three months ago that i haven't put out yet that i need to put out um the reason i haven't put it out is because microsoft hello microsoft surface book which is what i have um is not a great adobe premiere machine okay. um and so i was doing my own editing on technologists and bars 
um, and my machine is not capable of doing it. Um, so I need to upgrade my equipment, number one. Number so two- you're telling me you're a Windows person. Is this what you're telling me? I, I am a Windows person, but you know I've never had a Surface Book computer and there's an NVIDIA card in here, but for some reason it doesn't seem to tackle Premiere very well. Okay. So uh, everything freezes. Number two, the first hundred days of my new job were actually pretty um, intensive. Okay. So you know, getting in, learning a new team, doing those things, um, the new job took a little bit of priority over trying to figure out how to get my, you know, my premier stuff working. And I could have done it at night, but um, anyways, like I said, it, it'll be back in the next week or two. You'll see the next one. Um, and then my, my next goal, um, I've got three more people lined up already. And so uh, you'll start to see those hit in the next couple months. But yeah, it's a, it's a great project. It had a great response. Like people seem to love it. It's a little different than the normal Zoom call stuff, right? Because we're together in a, in a spot. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think I think it'll continue to be fun and it'll come back here soon. Right. It sounds it sounds great, and then you, you just need a, a bar to actually sponsor you in in the corner to just to have a little studio where you can just drink and talk tech. I you know what I would love that. That would be an amazing. Um, and I have one here local. Um, you might you might have just sparked an idea. <laughs> there we go. I I done my job. And on that note, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Your your Twitter handle AB Phenom. Where did it all um, originate from? Um, it's self bravado, which I I'm usually against. Um, you know, it's kind of like the Muhammad Ali theory of if you declare yourself to be great, then eventually you'll become it. Um, <laughs> So, you know, I always make a joke that anybody who gives themselves their own nickname is a jackass, but that's exactly what I did with that. So, okay. but, uh, luckily, so nobody's, nobody's, uh, nobody's shamed me too much for it yet. So that's good. Well, of course, like between yourself and Chuck Espinosa with Mad Sound Guy, at least he's, he, it's a lovely Twitter handle. And for you, I, I think like the phenom comes from the martial arts. I, I always, tie in the martial arts with your audiovisual on, on that when you get a technology in bars at some stage. That'd be, that'd be awesome. Hey, thanks, man, for having me. I appreciate it. The All Things Techie Podcast is a product of the Extreme Media Network. For advertising and sponsorship opportunities, please visit www.extrememedia.ie. That's X-T-R-E-M-E, media.ie.